why small offices might be a bigger deal post-pandemic. And in the first in a series of weekly conversations, I'll talk with David Manilow about the business of food, the joy of eating, and the challenges of working in the service industry. One day in the shower, I kind of came up with the whole concept and the name about regular people recommending said, should I call it dinner at eight, table for four, or check please? I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, October 27th. I eat everything. I'm like a grandmother's dream, right? I will eat anything you put in front of me. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit new here. And once a week, I'll be talking with David Manilow about the business of food, the joy of eating, and the challenges of working in the service industry. So let's meet David and this week talk about a particular focus of restaurant recommendations. David, welcome. So glad you're here. Thanks so much, Amy. I'm thrilled. So most people know you from your work producing Check Please, but if you could share a little more about your background. I'm a born and raised Chicago City kid, North Side, and I started in my, I guess, professional career uh, producing sports locally, first for a an old thing called Sports Vision, which was owned by the White Sox, Bulls, Chicago Sting, Soccer, and uh, the Blackhawks. And it's if you kind of go in its whole history, I think it's now NBC Sports, local, whatever. And then I went out to work uh, for Channel 7 Sports, and I worked for the great Tim Weigel for a long time. And that was awesome. Left that, worked in some news, started some companies, and then had the idea for a show about restaurants because I didn't understand why there wasn't a show about restaurants in this fabulous city. And um, one day in the shower, I kind of came up with the whole concept and the name about regular people recommending. Said, should I call it dinner at eight, table for four, or check please? And it was like, it was available. And, you know, we ended up doing that show in uh, Chicago for 19 years, and I still have it in a bunch of other spinoff places around the country. It's such an interesting concept for a show, you know, because I think the, the, it's social proof and it's kind of that peer review reinforcement of, of it's not just one person telling you go here, but it's, here's, you know, someone like me, just like a regular person talking about this place. And I love the concept of all the people then would visit and kind of go to this place and arrive at a, arrive at a conclusion. It was always a fun show to watch. Yeah. I tried to make it really diverse and genuine and diverse in every which way, you know, their occupation of the guests, to the type of dining, to the location, and genuine in just the sense that if you get people to talk about restaurants and places they've been and never been, it's unlikely everyone's going to agree about everything all the time. It just doesn't seem natural to me. And we never manipulated anything. We just said, you know, have a good time, be honest. And what we really did, I think, for the viewer and what I hope to do when we talk is explore for people because there's a lot of people just stay in their comfort zone until you give them, you can articulate articulate an expectation of a place uh, to go to, and then they'll they'll go and they'll I think try new things as long as it's kind of like something that they feel that they can kind of explore. 
So here, each week, we're going to play with themes a little bit. And and listeners, I'll tell you, we're happy to take requests. If there's a type of restaurant or a specific area of town that you want us to talk about or check out or you want to hear what's going on there, let us know. We're uh, all over social media. We're easy to find. Um, But this week, David, you talked with Larry Tucker of Crazy Bird on Grand. And so in honor of that conversation, we have landed on fried chicken. Tell Tell me about your conversation with Larry. Larry has been cooking uh, in Chicago since the 70s. So he, he's been around. He's cooked uh, in restaurants and Italian restaurants and barbecue places and, and all over all over town. And he has got a, like a great, rich history. I think I started in 1970s working at Tropical Hut Restaurant, which was one of the Polynesian restaurants that opened up after World War II with the basic ribs and he had like some Asian influence. So I started there in high school, you know, my first year in high school and uh, what experience it was great. And that set the tone, I guess, for the rest of my life, you know. And give me a little bit of the, the trajectory. So you started there, you're, you're a kid and then you kind of grew up in the restaurant business, right? Oh, totally. My, my father was basically a chef from Mississippi years ago, World two veteran, cook in the army, sergeant cook. So me and my dad was just always cooking at home all the time. Every holiday, my, my dad and myself would just, you know, Thanksgiving, Easter, you know, I was his assistant basically. So that's how it kind of started. And did you ever have a pause where you weren't in the restaurant business? Um, over this time? Now, that's a good question, David. It was funny because in between Lundale, there, there was like a two-year gap where we were waiting to have this other restaurant built on uh, Grand Avenue. And I basically, believe it or not, I, I drove for Uber. And it was really a great experience because I was a five-star driver and people really liked you know, my service. So I went from one service industry right into the other service industry. Yeah, it's kind of in your blood. Oh, yeah. And you know what was funny? The last six months, you know, before I went into my own restaurant, I was passing out my business cards for the new restaurant. So I would pick up a load in that same neighborhood. I would just conveniently be in that neighborhood. So I would get to know like, like some of the neighbors. I would pick them up in the morning and we'd give them a business card. Hey, that that place right there is going to be opening, you know. So it was kind of cool. You cooked at all these places. You've cooked all these cuisines. What is it about fried chicken that, you know, made it so you wanted to open up Crazy Bird? You know, I was looking at who else was out there and, and I said, look, I can do this too. You know, basically I have a recipe from my grandfather and I gotten the barbecue recipe from from the other grandfathers. So basically I was like fried chicken, you know, so and then it took me basically longer to come up with the name than to figure out the recipes, <laughs> believe it or not. And and I was looking at a news article that came out, you know, they listed like ten fried chicken places and I kept looking at that because I was looking at my sheet and I was like, you know, what I do have the word crazy on there, crazy crazy good or and then i said wait a minute 
there it is, Crazy Bird. So I came up with the name Crazy Bird. And if it ain't crazy good, it's not Crazy Bird. And that's that's how we, we kind of played with it. He's he's a master at it. And uh, I ate there and, and recently, and it was just fantastic. I did take out, but they also have seats. And, um, you know, he will talk about brining the chicken and, and making it work for you. Brining is a very simple process of adding moisture to poultry. Like when you brine turkey for Thanksgiving, it's a basic um, solution. It can be the basic solution for brining. And I'll just say is salt and water and sugar equal parts. And then you, you brine your product in that. And then you take it out of the brine and you can rinse it and then dry it and then bread it. So in other words, you're adding juice and moisture into the product. You know? And what was most surprising to you about your conversation with him? The most surprising thing was actually the last question I asked him which was, uh, what has changed in all of your years in the restaurant business? Oh, definitely social media. I mean, it's changed the world. It's, um, you basically can't open a restaurant without uh, some type of social media. Uh, the young people now take pictures. I mean, it pisses me off, but, you know, I have to come up to date. But you give them hot food that's beautiful, and they take time to take pictures of it and the food's getting cold and I just shake my head. That's the difference. You know, I'm like, this food is hot. Please eat it. You know? <laughs> okay. Fried chicken wise. First of all, what is your criteria for what makes fried chicken excellent in your book? Well, let me say this first. I love all kinds of chicken. And I think if I think about chicken as like my go-to meal, even though I'll, I eat everything, I'm like a grandmother's dream, right? I will eat anything you put in front of me. Uh, and so, you know, I started, I think my favorite chicken in the past was like actually Korean spicy chicken wings. And I have done crisp on Broadway in between diversity and Belmont dozens and dozens of times. I usually get there half bird, hot barbecue, great seas on Lawrence Avenue near Kedzie. I've had their chicken wings. I've gone there by myself and just sat there and eaten eating the plate of chicken wings more times than I want to count. And they've always made me super happy. I pivoted recently to Nashville hot chicken, which I know you're a fan. Speak in my language, yes. Uh, right, and my kid is a big fan, so we, we eat a fair amount of that. You know, Bud Long is good. They have a bunch of locations, as does the Roost. But as far as fried chicken, which I think is the cold weather starts coming in, I'd like, I'm more interested in that kind of hearty. I, I, went, on a, I went on a little kind of fried chicken binge recently and there's i don't want to say these are like there's lots of good fried chicken places my wife who's from the southwest suburbs like grew up on white fence farms for like special occasions right so that's in joliet honey butter fried chicken is fabulous and even just by the name alone you should go there right you just you should just go and chicago home of chicken and waffles in bronzeville is good and uncle remus saucy fried chicken all over the place bink jones I would say, especially if it's a sit down, you know, let's let's uh, spend some time there. I love Big Jones in Andersonville. Um, they've got lots of interesting dishes, southern dishes, and you know, big plate of fried chicken. Whether it's for lunch or dinner, um, you can just you know can dive in, which I really like. You know, if you do fried chicken, you might as well just make it an experience, right? Versus just you know 
having a you know a, a wing a, a leg and a breast i just like the idea of just like seeing it come to your table and getting a, a big happy smiley face <laughs> and and know you're know you're in there for the duration and, and you, you don't have to eat again but delray's chicken basket along route 66 the old route 66 in willowbrook which is near hinsdale which i think has been there since like the 40s and that's some old school fried chicken right that is fried chicken salad and soup buffet and just beautifully done and the waitress called me honey like four times which i loved and they have a, a kind of vast menu you know all kinds of chicken roasted chicken chicken parmesan i think they have a turkey dinner but the fried chicken there is just is just fantastic and and the experience is great and they make it fresh so I cook it up to order, so it's going to be at least a half hour by the time you order, from the time you get it. And I feel like places that have been around that long, they have a down pat. Like, they know it's consistent. They know exactly what works, and they have tinkered with that recipe, and they've made it work time and time again. I got to tell you, I went there. I loved it. I didn't eat again <laughs> about dinner the next day, because I believe I had, like, homemade stuffing and rolls on the side. I, I would say this about that place. A lot of their stuff is fried. so. The, the, most of their appetizers are fried. So I kind of stayed away from those because I know I was getting fried chicken. It's just a little much for me. But I was out at some event, you know, 25 minutes from there. And I called up to order it again on my way just to pick it up on the way home. So I, it, that, that experience stayed with me. There's no question. On a completely different type of experience is um, Bavette's in uh, River North, which is really a kind of high-end, tough-to-get-a-reservation spot, mostly a steakhouse, but the kind of secret menu item there is their fried chicken, which I had last week and I've had before. Absolutely fantastic. And I think we think of fried chicken as being such a casual thing, but to see it done in a kind of an elevated way, it's usually such a standout. Yeah. You know, it's not something I necessarily think about ordering uh at a, at a kind of like a, a, a higher end restaurant, I've ordered a lot of chicken and roasted chicken or whatever. But I was told early on that like you know you just gotta try to fry chicken there because it's unbelievable. And yes, it is. And you said it's a secret menu item. Well, I don't mean to say it's a secret menu. Like you have to, it's actually on. There's the not like a password you got to use, right? <laughs> no, but the interesting thing about Bavets, which they I think they have stopped. I hope they only stopped during COVID, is. Do you know about the special way that you can bring a bottle of wine? No, tell me. Okay. So they stopped during COVID. And I hope they bring it back. But if you bring a bottle of wine there, they don't charge you a corkage fee. Not during COVID time. And the waiter will open the bottle of wine and say, do you know how it works here? And you say, yes, if you do. And then they pour a glass of that wine that you've brought and they ask you which table that you would like to give that glass of wine to, and they take it to another table. So that is kind of their corkage fee. Uh, when I went there last week, they now charge a corkage fee, and I asked them, is, it, is this just for COVID? I hope, and they weren't sure. So, mm. I, that's, I, that's kind of a lovely spirit of, of how to do things. I thought so, too, and I have been there on occasion, like with an old high school buddy of mine, where I've had a glass of wine show up at my table. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I, yeah, so it's, so it's fun because you're there. It's, it's actually so warm and inclusive and you have to look around the room. And I think when, I think they explain it when they 
give a glass to the person. So it's not like this, this dude in the corner just bought you a glass of wine. But it's a, a good argument for wearing something really brightly colored or really catchy when you go to Bevets, right? Like really, that's when you need to wear the fuchsia leopard top or whatever. So everyone, like all the eyes are on you for that. Big hair or something. <laughs> you go to Bevets. All right. So once again, we're going to be doing this every week. So if you've got some requests of, hey, check out this neighborhood. I want to know what's happening there. Or if you have a restaurant you want to suggest... Cranes is all over social media. David and I are all over social media. You can find us, make your make your recommendation or send in a question. We're here for all of it. All right. Well, thanks so much, David. Appreciate your time today. I so enjoyed it. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, the new Chicago school CEO will make notably more than his predecessor. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Is your student taking the SAT, ACT, or a high school admissions test this year? Academic Approach wants to help them get prepared. Academic Approach's time-tested tutoring programs ensure students grow their academic skills, improving their performance on standardized tests. The work together begins with a consultation with an Academic Approach director who will meet with you and your student to discuss their unique needs. Then Academic Approach creates an effective, fully customized study plan that targets their goals and matches them with a tutor who will be by their side, guiding them through instruction and practice throughout their tutoring journey. Get in touch today to learn how Academic Approach can help your student transform into a confident, successful test taker. Learn more at academicapproach.com slash daily gist. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Small offices might be a far bigger thing after the pandemic. Before, small floor plan spaces hurt some landlords, but now shrinking workspace needs could change all of that. Danny Ecker is reporting the story in detail for Cranes. Before COVID, you would never see a developer go to the city and say, hey, you know that office building you approved for us already? We want your permission to redesign it to make the floors on each level 40% smaller. Uh, But that's what Sterling Bay just did in Fulton Market. Remember, it was the big, open, massive floor plates that were winning so many deals before the pandemic because, in many cases, the name of the game for companies was efficiency. Cram as many people as you can into a big open space to encourage interaction and be really efficient with your space needs. Um, And Sterling Bay's project just went from large to mid-size, so people might not say that's too crazy, but... You look around the market and you see some buildings with smaller floors that just look better to the market today because there are theoretically more companies out there that one could fit into smaller spaces because they're trying to cut back on their office space and make it more about collaboration rather than individual work. And two, companies that may say, I'd rather be in a building that is smaller and where I can be a bigger fish and have more of an identity in my building. That's going to be an interesting trend to watch over the next couple of years as we see more tenants make decisions about their future workspace. Fitch Ratings Agency has revised its outlook on Chicago, lifting it from negative to stable to reflect what it described as, quote, the ongoing revenue recovery across the city and the significant infusion of federal fiscal aid, easing financial pressure on the city. But as ratings agencies often warn about Chicago, the city, quote, still faces considerable financial challenges and the size of recent years' budget gaps illustrate its sensitivity to economic setbacks. Crane's government reporter A.D. Quigg has the story. Mayor Lori Lightfoot got some good news ahead of Wednesday's final budget vote. 
The ratings agency Fitch has revised its outlook on Chicago's debt from negative to stable. The change reflects how revenues have recovered since the pandemic and the big infusion of federal dollars to prop up the city's books. But there was a warning. The city faces considerable financial challenges, illustrated by the big budget gaps the city's seen in recent years, plus pension and debt service. The overall rating for the city is triple B minus, which means the agency doesn't think the city will default on debt, but it's still a notch above junk. At this time last year, in the depths of the pandemic, the agency gave the city a negative outlook, citing the $1.2 billion budget gap and the city's proposal to use something called scoop and toss to extend city debts. But since then, the city's received close to $2 billion in federal aid that's helped avoid cost-cutting measures like layoffs or rating its reserves. TransUnion has announced that it would sell its healthcare business for over $1.7 billion. Separately, the Chicago-based credit reporting company said it would buy digital security firm Sontic for $638 million. TransUnion is selling the healthcare business to InThrive, which it calls a, quote, healthcare revenue cycle management software as a service platform. InThrive is backed by ClearLake Capital Group. And the deals come just weeks after TransUnion said it would buy Newstar, a data analytics company that specializes in digital identity verification. Chalkbeat Chicago reported that Chicago Public Schools will pay its new CEO, Pedro Martinez, $340,000, a notable pay increase from the $300,000 salary that his predecessor, Janice Jackson, received in the last six months that she was in the role. The contract extends through June of 2026, but there were no other details in an abbreviated version posted publicly on Monday ahead of a Wednesday school board meeting where the board will officially vote to appoint Martinez, who earned $315,000 annually in his previous role as superintendent of San Antonio Independent School District. However, Chalkbeat Chicago notes that Martinez's salary is comparable to that of CEOs in the country's 10 largest school districts. The highest paid CEO on that list is Alberto Carvalho, the head of Miami-Dade County Public Schools, who earns more than $374,000 a year in base salary, running the nation's fourth largest school district. Misha Porter, who oversees the largest school district in the country, New York City, earns $363,000 a year in base salary. The median salary on the list of the 10 largest school districts is around $350,000. By comparison, Jackson's pay increase last December raised her salary from $260,000 to $300,000. You can find more reporting on this story and many others at chicagobusiness.com. And that is Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to my guest today, David Manilow. And be sure to follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist because that's the best way for others to discover our episodes. You'll also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and on LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.